Hey, come on in, come on in, and welcome to Entrepreneurs Can Party. Let me show you around. This is an entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, creatives, and those aspiring to be so. The aim is to introduce you to inspiring, like-minded people who are doing what they love every single day and having so much fun in the process. You see, business can and should be fun. You'll have the opportunity to hear their stories, be given tools and advice to succeed, and to taste what is possible when you think and dream bigger. Me? (laughs) I'm your host, Scott Stockdale, and I'll be learning just as much as you as I show you around. It's my job as a fellow entrepreneur to tease out their habits, routines, successes, failures, favourite resources, books, etc, etc. All that good stuff. Alrighty, make yourself at home, grab yourself a drink, and let's get this party started. Hey, hey, welcome to episode 130 of Entrepreneurs Can Party. I'm your host, Scott, and on today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Agnes Billick at agnes.billick on Instagram. There'll be links down in the show notes. She is the founder of Raw and Real Media, an agency that helps coaches and entrepreneurs get podcast guest appearances so they can share their message, grow their audience, and get more organic leads. She is also the host of Raw and Real podcast, which is telling stories of entrepreneurs whilst highlighting challenges, struggles, failures, and fears. In our wide range of conversation, we discuss how Agnes got into the business of helping other people find podcasts to guest on, how she brings value to people in her network, lessons from working with her first client, her video content producing process, and so much more. I really, really enjoyed this conversation because Agnes is someone who has helped me a lot actually in terms of actually how to produce a better podcast and how to uh, bring value to people. So yeah, I am sure she is going to bring lots of value to you as well. And with all that being said, I hope you enjoy today's episode with Agnes Billick. So hey Agnes, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. You are most welcome. There is so much ground to cover here, and uh, I will give a mention to Raw and Real Media, which is your agency that you are, I'll say agency, um, we can delve into the specifics of that, and your podcast as well, which I know I, for one, really like and really enjoy, all sorts of stories, and I think in, a, in some ways, the stories we pick out are fairly similar theme and the topics we pick out. So I think it'll be good to get your thoughts on the stories you found most interesting, which I'm sure we'll cover later in the show. But before all of that question, I know you are aware of, that I like to ask all my guests, uh, do you have a party trick or hidden talent that people might not be aware of? Yes, I do have a funny one um, or a little bit weird. Um, I do have a very long tongue, so I can (laughs) touch my tongue, so I can touch the tip of my nose with my tongue. And I want to see evidence of this. Now, I know it's not going to make great podcast listening, but yep, I can vouch. (laughs) Agnes can do that. Very cool. (laughs) How did you learn to do that? Is that just something you experimented with or yeah, how how did you find out you got a long tongue? Well, I think it just kind of happened because at some point as a kid, you play around with others and have like certain games who can roll their tongue and who can't do that because that's partly genetics. And then somehow I saw, okay, wow, like mine is really long compared to others. And, you know, (laughs) so that's how I actually found out. Cool. One of my previous guests, um, she could actually tie, not to try and one up you here, you might be able to do this as well. She could tie a a cherry stem with her tongue. I don't know if you've experimented with that. or. Yeah, that's really fantastic. I've seen that in movies. I haven't actually tried it myself, but uh, I've seen that talent and I think it's extremely cool. (laughs) It's one to practice for after hours. So I said there's a lot to cover and there truly is. And to give listeners a bit of context around your story, so they will have heard parts of it in the introduction, but I wanted to kind of dig into it a little bit more. So I believe you, so you did a master's in, I did write this down, you'll be able to tell me actually, because I probably can't find out my sheet of paper. From there, you went into recruitment and then you hopped into what you're doing now. Yeah, would you be able to fill in some of those blanks, just a little bit of context for listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, I think um, a big thing uh, to mention is that I actually live in the Netherlands, but I'm not Dutch, so I don't speak the national language. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so I moved here and I took a job as a corporate recruiter. Um, It was an international role um, and... 
you know, it seemed like a really cool opportunity and it was working with people and I'm very people focused. So, um, so I thought, hey, that's, that's like a really cool thing to do. And uh, throughout that year that I worked there, I just realized that it was really horrible and totally not my thing um, because I wasn't learning anything new. I felt already after like two months, I was done studying there. I was done with, with all the tasks that I had to face because it was constantly just the same thing, recruiting for the same role over and over again. And my manager was also not very experienced or innovative in the way how I could change my approach to get different results. And mm-hmm. um, so it felt really like I was a hamster on a wheel um, and I was very unhappy and I didn't have anything to really look forward to. And that's why I actually decided to go back to university and do a master because I just didn't know what the right path for me was. Um, and also given the fact that I didn't speak the national language, I saw a lot of limitations there to actually get a job where I could speak to other people because you mm-hmm. always needed to speak Dutch for that. Uh, before you co- continue, just to sorry, quickly interject, what's your nationality? I just assumed it was Dutch. Uh, nope, I'm actually from Vienna, from Austria. Ah, uh, okay, cool, cool. Sorry, I uh, interjected your story there, continue. Yeah, and then um, it turned out that during my master's studies, I uh, wrote my master thesis on the fear of failure in entrepreneurship. And I was focused on finding out how the fear of failure influenced the decision-making of early stage founders. So I had to actually get out here um, in the startup scene, go to startup events and meet people um, that would be willing to give me a 45-minute interview for research purposes. And those interviews were very eye-opening because they were very real, they were anonymous and I asked a lot of questions around fear and, you know, what was really happening for like a CEO founder that experienced a board meeting and, and just how it all played together for them. And that's actually when I found out that these people that are really doing it and that are successful, they also have a lot of insecurities and fears. Um, and I wasn't aware of that actually before, because in the corporate world, um, everything was very... Um, it seemed like those managers had all the answers and they seemed very confident Mm -hmm. and there was a very clear structure. So yeah, through these interviews, I actually realized, okay, I can do more than I thought because I also have these insecurities. And if they did that, maybe I can do it as well. And that's when a lot really started changing for me what, what I believed was possible actually. Because before that, I never believed that I could actually run a company or do something on my own. Mm. And that's how I actually got into podcasting, because there was someone who pushed me to become a business coach. And he actually connected me with a business coach that was helping entrepreneurs to start out. I didn't even know that that was out there back then. Oh, cool. And we will circle back to to podcasting and what you're doing now uh, in terms of those conversations you had you know was there one particular conversation that made you realize actually I could do this and actually yeah this isn't something that's out of my reach was it yeah anything that springs to mind yes yeah, so there was one thing that did stand out to me and there, there was like a speaker I'd say he would be the Tony Robbins of the Netherlands uh, he's very focused on personal development and the, does a lot of on-stage coaching. And he also told me that he had like a major imposter syndrome complex in the beginning when he started out speaking on stage, that especially the stage magnifies you, the people, how, how they view you. And that there were often times when people asked something and he said the maximum of his knowledge but the audience never knew that, that he was always going to the maximum. And if like someone would ask a follow-up question, he would be like, oh, I don't know. So, so yeah, that was just extremely empowering to hear that people that just take maybe a framework that's already out there and adapt it a little bit and start teaching that, that they feel an imposter syndrome and that they feel 
like they they don't really have the right to do this. Um, but that at some point, if you do it for for long enough, your internal world adapts, and uh, and that just helped a lot to hear yeah, that. For sure, and I don't know if you found this with conversations you've had for your podcast, but it seems everyone at some point has some sort of imposter syndrome and I think it doesn't seem to stop at any point either it just seems to continue as we get older which I think is always reassuring is probably the wrong word but it's kind of nice to know that we're not alone going through those those thoughts at least from my experience. Yeah so I especially heard that it continues always when you go to the next level and when you try out something new. So let's say you start your company and then you're doing something for three years. Then, you know, after three years, I think you'll get some type of confidence in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as you try to expand it and maybe hire other people, diversify a little bit, then it again kicks in because that's unknown territory. Yeah, for sure. And from here then, so obviously you've then created a podcast and like I mentioned at the beginning it's one I really enjoy and I wanted to kind of unpick how you got to this point because so you said you're in this recruitment role you hated then go on to do a master's to kind of leave that what was that transition point then from actually finishing your master's to then deciding actually I want to do my own thing and how did you come to decide what that thing would be and there's quite a lot to (laughs) a lot to that question but yeah if I'm able to unpick that that'd be great yeah, so I think one of the biggest drivers behind it was I had to meet a lot of startup founders here in Amsterdam. Um, so I went to a lot of networking events and there was a co-working space in the inner city. They had always Friday drinks um, and I was always there every week to network more, get to know more people. And I enjoyed it so much. I, I never felt like that um, in the right place ever. And that just, I didn't want to leave that. I just really wanted to hold on to that. So I just really wanted to find something that I could do where I could kind of create a business out of that. And, uh, and then it just all came together because I had a conversation that was extremely inspiring and I shared it with another person and they were like, wow, that that's really cool. And Again, another um, entrepreneur there, he was like, well, like during the interview we had, you really made me feel, and I feel like you really have a gift for that. Um, And that's when I actually started researching podcasts and just checked what was out there um, when it comes to different topics and so on. And I couldn't really find anything that was focused on showing like the fears and the struggles in entrepreneurship. Uh, that's when I just really decided to go for it because it was really pulling on me. But I also have to say that I was also extremely naive and not knowledgeable about what it would really take. So I heard that it takes like a year until you can monetize it or so. That's what I heard. But generally, it just takes so much more to build up an audience um, than I was aware of. Mm. so uh, so yeah it's it's been a very interesting journey yeah I know we've talked about this or messaged about this offline haven't we that uh, I think I posted on LinkedIn about Evan Will no, Evan Carmichael and his journey for gaining followers on YouTube and yeah you're right it, I think to begin with he had maybe 40 uh, followers subscribers in his first year and then it kind of grew exponentially to a point now where he's got over 2.1 million but that's taken 10 years. <laughs> so yeah, it certainly takes longer to, to grow an audience than you, you, we expect. Um, and then, so, so forgot from going to, or deciding you wanted to create a podcast, being quite naive about the process, did you then seek help on creating a podcast or did you just dive straight into it and learn on the fly? Yeah, what was your approach? Uh, I actually just checked out everything mainly on YouTube. Oh, cool. Um, also, Pat Flynn is... I think mm. a known name in the industry who created a lot of videos around that. Um, so I just started reading a lot of blogs and watching a lot of YouTube videos and learning by doing, I'd say. Yeah, cool. And did you at that point decide you actually wanted to do podcasting full time or did you have like another gig on the side? What was the setup? 
Yeah, honestly, I have to say in the beginning when I started out, I was focused locally on Amsterdam and I was very specific about the people I would take on the show. So I actually had to go to a lot of events to find the right people and I'd have to see them during a speech first to vet if they would be a fit and then they would come um, to my apartment, which I would oh, have wow. to set up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was a whole different ball game. And then in the beginning, I needed like partly days to edit the audio because again, I wasn't great at it or I didn't like learn it before. So just making a lot of mistakes, which just took a lot of time. Um, so yeah, that wasn't super efficient. And then especially when COVID hit, I had to move online as well which I was resisting a lot. But it's funny because always those things that I'm also resisting, um, they're always super helpful in the end. Um, So I realized that it's just so much better to do everything online. It's just so much faster. Um, And that's actually when um, everything came together for me and I started my podcast PR agency. Yeah. So what was the stages of that? Because going from doing your own podcast to then finding guests for other people seems like quite a big leap yeah what was the uh, the process like for you yeah so when i started out with the podcast i did get a sponsor in the beginning um but then i realized as well i didn't know anything about sales and i didn't really know how to get sponsors on so i was approaching very locally um also co-working spaces that were looking for more entrepreneurs. Uh, so very targeted uh, to get them to sponsor my podcast and to get the attention and so on. But again, because I didn't know anything about sales actually and how the process would really look like, what to do in what stage, uh, I realized that that's not the right thing for me. And what actually happened then was that I was speaking at an event and a former podcast guest reached out to me uh, because she actually wanted to start her own. And then a conversation actually revealed that she wanted to get more PR and she just wanted to get on other podcasts. And because I already developed a network at that stage, I was like, well, that's like some people's job, you know? (laughs) And that's when I actually started working together with her. (laughs) Oh, cool. So it was all quite organic by the sounds of it. You didn't have a grand plan that you actually wanted to do this line no. of work no. well no not at all and the funny part is that I did hear of that business model before uh, but I've never seen it from that angle or that possibility of oh I could do that and um, it just really happened through that conversation that I actually realized oh like maybe I could do that and because it was just so there was so much trust there already so it was a developed relationship it also felt very safe for me to try it out and to go for it. Mm. Um, and that's when I actually realized that I love networking anyway. So I get to just network way more. Um, and I also love to just help people that feel that they're drawn to speaking to get their message out and create that win-win situation. Yeah, that's fantastic. I've got so many questions. I'm just jotting one of them down so I don't forget it. So the the networking side of things, which you've mentioned and the fact you had an existing network, were these people that had podcasts already or were these just people that were in business? Yeah, what did that split look like, I guess? Yeah, people that had podcasts and those in your network you didn't. So at that point, I already guested on some shows, um, also through the one business coach I had at that point. And then obviously I was also looking for other guests for my show and some of them already had a podcast as well. So I was just way more exposed to that market. Um, And uh, and that's how it really then started. But obviously developing relationships is also something that you in a way have to learn, Mm. especially if you're new to business. Um, So yeah, But again, I really enjoy networking and I found it out through all of these in-person events with founders. Uh And how do you go about maintaining these connections? Because this is something I'm constantly tweaking and experimenting with. Like, do you 
make a conscious effort to reach out to people every week, every month? Or do you do a bit more ad hoc? Like, yeah, what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so it's not like I have a spreadsheet where I track all of that. I know some people do and they have reminders in their CRM of when to just interact with who. But for me, it's actually very intuitive that I then um, ideally connect with, let's say, a podcast host or a potential client, um, ideally on all the platforms. And then I can just interact more with their posts because I feel like especially when you're already posting something on social media, you want it to be seen by other people, which means that you really appreciate engagement on your post. Mm. So I definitely try to, you know, at least give them a like or a comment. And now and then when something comes up to just send them a message. And then if it's really someone um, I like a lot, yeah, it's not super regular, but that I jump on a coffee chat call with them, I'd say once in six months or so um, to, to just see how this person is doing. And mainly I just try to give as much value as I can um, with what I currently have as well. So for example, I often meet uh, people that are looking to connect with other people in the real estate sector, for example. And then I just mm. think about, hey, who do I actually know in the real estate sector? And then I always try to make these connections via LinkedIn. So I make a lot of introductions. And then I also see that those people that I have a good relationship with, they do the same for me. So they also introduce me to other people as well. And that's how your network grows over time. That's that's a really cool approach. I, I think you said the word intuitive, which is, um, yeah, a good way to go about it. I am a little bit more, I don't want to say cold hearted about my approach, but I do have a spreadsheet and I found that really useful just because for me, I always, it's just something that slips my mind unless I make a conscious effort to, you know, like every Sunday I'll check my spreadsheet and say, okay, these are the people I haven't reached out to in since this date and I try and update that once a week just so I've got like a a tally of when I last connected with that person um and yeah when I've told people about this they're like yeah that seems very cold but at the same time I suppose in my eyes it doesn't matter how it works like if you're if the intent's still right and actually the end result is still you know you're connecting with people I think how you go about that the middleman process can be so wide-ranging um and doesn't necessarily matter too much Especially when it comes to prospecting and getting clients, there are frameworks where you have eight weeks ready of messaging and you message them once a week on a specific day, Mm. you know, to build rapport. So I don't see anything wrong with that. It's just a little bit how our psychology also works. I mean, studies show that uh, someone needs to consume around six hours of your content and like for a really high value client. Mm, yeah, exactly. And actually that is something I was going to mention a bit later because I, I have noticed you seem to be putting out more videos, particularly on LinkedIn. Um, and I was keen to dive into that process, but yeah, I'll save that for later. There wasn't something else I wanted to come back to, which was you mentioned how the first person you started to work with, it seemed like quite a comfortable fit and how it sounded like you already knew this person. Can you remember the parameters if you like of that first deal and you know things like pricing and what sort of work you did for that person yeah what what did that look like yeah so I learned a lot from that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just want to put it out there Uh, but yes indeed so it was actually someone that I knew in person even here uh, from Amsterdam from an event and she is American so back then we agreed that I would just book her on, like we didn't even agree on the amount of podcasts I would book her on. So we just left that open and we just agreed on a price. It was then 100 euros per podcast. And yeah, and back then I didn't even uh, charge anything for a media kit that I created for her. I created like this whole strategy for her, also for LinkedIn and all of that. but it was just also for me, like, I didn't really know, yeah, if I could do this or like, 
all the details around it. By now, for example, I know that mainly uh, people charge $1,000 to create a media kit for you um, if you check that online. Yeah. And if you think about it, honestly, it takes a lot of time to think about good talking points for someone and to write someone's bio and to come up with questions that someone can ask them during an interview and all of that. It really takes a lot of time and to create something valuable. So in the end, um, I guess it's really justified um, the longer I am in the industry. But yeah, so what I really learned from that first client I took on is that it's really good to set certain numbers in advance and agree on a certain amount. And especially with her, the problem was as well that I sent her certain podcasts and then she said no to them, um, which is extremely bad for my relationships, obviously, because Mm -hmm. if you reach out to a podcaster with a profile and you're like, you know, hey, would you like to have this guest on? And then in the end, the guest kind of says no. (laughs) And that's really bad. So, so yeah, I changed a lot when it comes to that because now I have packages. So I agree to work with someone over a period of either four or six months. And I immediately agree on, let's say, 12 or 20 podcasts. And I actually create targeted lists of podcasts. Um, So there is very clear alignment on the shows, which means that if someone looks at a show in the beginning, when we start working together and they say, hey, that is interesting. And then later during the process, they actually change their mind and they, you know, um, say, okay, no, that's not interesting anymore. Then it still counts as a booking for me when it comes to my terms and conditions, because otherwise my work would be endless. Anyone Mm -hmm. can then say just, oh, this changed in my business and now I don't want to go for this one anymore. So that's why someone really needs to be in business, I'd say, at least for two years, ideally, and have some stability. Um, Because especially in the beginning, when you're starting out in the first year, there's just so much changing when it comes to your messaging as well Mm. and who you really want to focus on because you're just still learning so much about the market. And for this strategy to really work, because I saw that especially for for an entrepreneur that is in business already for three years and they just know what they're doing and they had success with clients, then it's working extremely well because they already have the groundwork done. Um, And if you're still finding that it's it's not a great way to use this as experimentation i'd say if you want to experiment do it with posts on social media first okay so many great tips in that i like yeah you you mentioned the work would be endless i can totally see how that would be the case and actually i hadn't even thought about the idea that yeah people could say no (laughs) once you've you you've got this podcast lined up your guests could actually say no i don't want to be on that show and that would like you say damage the relationship you have with that podcast immensely because I, I know being a podcaster like you know you have these interviews lined up you you start researching the guests and then if that doesn't go ahead um I've had, it's happened to me a few times not because of someone's booked in but because the the guests themselves are like no nah, I don't actually someone's cropped up I can't do it it's, it's frustrating so yeah that's that's really interesting with with the packages that you have on offer are they based on kind of themes so for example entrepreneurship and then I don't know fashion and then food like how do you decide what podcasts go into a package for a person well it just depends on the stage of this person so it doesn't matter what sector it is um, but it just depends on the type of person that I'm working with so generally I work with two types of people so the first type is someone who is a little bit insecure about speaking, but they're curious and they know that they want to grow their confidence. And for them, the podcasting market is also very intransparent. And often they also are not fully sure about what to talk about. And then I work usually with them over a period of four months. I have three sessions in the beginning with them of how to design the perfect podcast interview. So then I really dig with them through their life story 
come up with actionable points that they can share during a podcast, come up with um, the pain points of their clients, and then how they can tie that to their personal story so that it resonates way more with the audience. And then we draft also a call to action for them, make sure they have a funnel in place, how they can capture the audience. And then we boost their overall social media profiles. So I see that there's just so many small details that need to be improved when it comes to LinkedIn, when it comes to their website, like what they're posting on Facebook and we go through their posts. And just it's, I'd say it's a very holistic strategy because in order to appeal to a podcaster, um, there are just many things that need to be in place, starting from the amount of your social following that you have to uh, credibility that you already have um, to just the topics that they appeal very interesting. Mm, really interesting. With with the the numbers that you mentioned and you said you can almost guarantee X amount of podcasts for a guest, how do you guarantee those numbers? Like, is it because you've got a network and you're confident that you can deliver or, or is that just with experience you've kind of realized you can deliver? Yeah. So I'd say that it's on the one hand experience and on the other hand, when I talk to someone for the first time, I already see if they have an inspiring personality or not. And if what they're talking about can be interesting for other people and just how they come across. And if I have the feeling, okay, that's actually a sympathetic person that I know that other people will find this person sympathetic as well. And then thinking about it, there are just so many podcasts out there and I believe just in the ability that I will be able to work as long as I really get all of them in, you know? And, and yeah, so far there weren't any problems with that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I really appreciate you sharing these details because I wasn't expecting conversation to go this way necessarily. But for me personally, it's just super interesting because I didn't necessarily realize what goes into it. And I know you talked about, you know, doing the media kits, for example, and just as a bit of context for listeners, media kits, in my experience, they're kind of two page documents, aren't they, where they detail what topics a person can talk about, their life story, pictures, as you've mentioned, things like that. Um, and also those those sessions that you do right at the start, they sound really intense as well. Yeah. And, and also another fun fact, you know, um, I've developed obviously relationships with some podcasters and there are some people out there who just told me like, hey, Agnes, if you have another person, I trust you. You can just forward my booking link. Like you don't even <laughs> cool. have to show me the profile anymore. Um, I haven't done it really so far that I haven't contacted this person. Like, hey, are you sure you want to talk to, you know, her or him? But there are just people that you develop a lot of trust with. So that's also possible. Yeah. And to be honest, I'd be in that boat as well, because I know you've referred someone to me for the podcast and having checked out and done research, they look fantastic. So I would be in that same position where like, I trust what you do and the processes you've detailed. So yeah, I can certainly be in that camp as well, just as a FYI for yourself. I will make us sort of change gear slightly because the work that you are doing, do you have plans to because I get the sense it's just yourself at the moment. Is that right? Or do you have people working with you? Yeah, what does that look like? I do have an intern, um, ah, cool. which is really cool. Um, so I get to mentor someone and she's now mainly managing my podcast. So it depends on what comes up. I give her everything around my podcast management, around my social media. But obviously, like everything really around client works is like 100% me. Okay. With, with the intern, is that quite hands-off? Do you just let them do their thing or do you have to, if you had to kind of manage them to some degree to begin with? Yeah, what does that look like? Well, what I personally found out is that it's really good to, because I have meetings obviously with her and like the first half an hour usually of our meeting, I just focus on her and what she needs and what she wants. And I try to teach her as much as possible so that, she feels empowered and that she knows that she's growing and learning. And then I really focus on what I need. Um, I'm definitely not the person that gives you just a lot of 
points with, hey, you have to do this this way and, and there's no way around it. I've personally experienced it myself in the corporate world. Um, I believe creativity is really important. And the more you can make something your own as well a little bit, uh, the more you can also feel, I think, empowered in that task. Mm, And I also just always ask her, hey, um, what do you like really doing? Like, uh, what do you feel passionate about? For example, she often says, hey, I really like video editing. So then I try to give more of these tasks to her. And... uh, and yeah so it's like a very open approach i'd say yeah cool the video editing is a whole other conversation i would like to turn to because your youtube videos are fantastic so just as i guess for you actually i have an assistant as well and i found that as you've talked about giving them the license and empowering them to do their own thing having that creativity has been super beneficial and what i tend to do i'd be kind of curious to hear your process as well but i tend to give kind of a desired outcome to my VA. So I'm like, okay, I'd like this doing. I don't really care how you do it. And I don't care necessarily how long it takes either because it will be a learning process. Um, And then, yeah, just give them license to figure it out. And nine times out of 10, she's able to, you know, just going on YouTube videos and uh, doing her own Google searches and things. Yeah, is it a similar story for yourself, do you think, with working with your, your intern? Yeah, generally I'd say so. But sometimes I'm still also a little bit sensitive because it's like my company and my branding, what goes out. So especially, for example, she created a couple of templates for my posts. Um, and then I always like check it and give a little bit of feedback to make sure that it just resonates with what I'm doing. But yeah, I think that's a very good approach. Cool. Yeah, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. And actually, yeah, it makes more sense of yours. You know, it's a bit more brand focus. Um, whilst stuff my VA does for me is generally behind the scenes. So it doesn't matter too much if, yeah, if it's not quite perfect. I know we we mentioned off air about the coaches and how you've had three to this point. Um, have there been any other resources you've turned to working for yourself now? Like, have there been any particular books, any particular tools, courses, etc., that you found to be particularly useful? The most recent revelation for me personally um, is we touched upon this as well, that I post like these one minute clip videos now on LinkedIn. Mm. And that's working extremely well. I really have to yeah, advise it to anyone else out there um, to try video marketing. Um, so it's a very specific approach. So I try to take a struggle of my clients or a person that might be my client. So for example, I know that sometimes people are wondering, hey, can everyone be a guest on a podcast? How do you actually track the results from your podcast guest appearances? Mm. What do you do um, if if you're nervous before an interview? Um, So all these types of struggles that my clients are experiencing, I just take that topic and then I try to come up with three or four quick points how someone can get value. Um, It should be definitely under a minute because, again, there's not a lot of time that people have to watch stuff. Um, And then I usually practice as well speaking so that it's fast. I've noticed that especially when people talk really slow on these videos, especially on social media. Like I don't want to watch it myself either. And mainly on YouTube, I watch stuff on like 1.5 speed or even faster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I try to talk quite fast and give like a couple of value points in these videos. And I've noticed like there were people that just booked in a call with me and that wanted to purchase like my big package for six months. Oh, no way. And, That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, just like that. Um, So I see that I have a totally different reach and I introduce each video with my name and what I'm about, so podcast guesting. And that's how I'm really creating that association for people, what I'm about. And I see that it's working way better than these text posts. So I'd highly recommend that to anyone um, to just go for it at least for I'd say one or two months Um, just start out with one video a week pick one day so you can be consistent I know that it takes a lot of time to create these videos and 
that's very transparent in the back end, um, how much effort goes into it, but it's going to be really worth it. Like people are going to start noticing what you're doing and in the long run, um, yeah, you can get just so much out of it. And I've seen that with these text posts, yeah, there are just so many of them and it's so much more powerful if someone sees your face and gets an impression. I had a lot of resistance as well to do it um, because I just felt very weird um, to stand in front of the camera and just, but it's it's really worth it. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever considered doing, because I know yours look really professional, have you ever considered doing like the, you know, someone standing in the street kind of video vibe? Have you, yeah, you're going to be going down that approach as well? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because that was actually the initial idea. So I heard that it should be generally better for the listeners, for the viewers, that you are outside moving, that that background makes it more interesting. But I'm based in the Netherlands and the weather here is like really bad. It's often gray <laughs> and rainy. Um, and I wanted to record my first video and I was thinking of going outside and then it was super cold and windy and I didn't want to do it with my jacket on. So in the end, I was just like, okay, I'm not going to find excuses not to do it. I'm just going to do it at home. And that's working well with when it comes to weather and all of that. Um, so I'd, uh, yeah, I totally recommend it. I think I definitely want to try it out probably in summer when it's warmer um, outside and just compare all of the results if I have maybe a bigger reach um, or maybe not. Mm. With, with a different background yeah the reason I mentioned that is actually I was you mentioned Pat Flynn earlier it's funny timing because I was watching one of his he did like a webinar the other night about email marketing and he mentioned in one of the emails that he sends it's essentially a, I think it might be a one minute video where he's standing in the street and doing like a selfie video and the the kind of conversion from that is higher than any of the professional shot videos he does and I think he talked about the language how he always makes it personal so it's like okay instead of saying you guys it'll just be you you know just singular rather than plural and little details like that it's super interesting in the whole psychology of sales which you've alluded to already uh, certainly opened my eyes I was curious to dive into the so you mentioned the sort of the back end of actually creating these videos just as a bit of context for listeners like I said I think you said you do them on one day yeah how long does it take you to sort of film edit create publish the video yeah what does that look like or videos even I'd say the hardest part is really coming up with the text because you want the text to be on point um, and you don't want to blabber so you really want every word to be on point and giving value in again a short amount of time so probably to write one of these text posts I do some research online, look on blogs, checks what tips I can give based on my personal experience and so on. So I definitely say like one text takes probably two hours to write. And then I um, set up the apartment a little bit differently. So that will take another 15 minutes. And like when it comes to the takes, I definitely do at least 10 takes for one video. Because oh, wow. I feel like, okay. especially in the beginning, when you're starting out, um, you still need to get your energy up. Um, when you're starting out, um, especially on video, you need to do way more with your face and with your hands so that your emotion comes across, which means that it really takes a couple times to get there for me, especially. I know that it will be just faster the longer I do this because you get more experience and, and you get faster in this mind state. Um, but I'd say, yeah, probably in total with everything, it takes around four hours to create a video with, you know, the setup, doing multiple of those takes and then editing it after. I didn't realize it was so intensive. That's an eye opener for me as well as for listeners. And I can totally see why. And actually, if you're able to generate results from it, then it's a good investment of time. Yeah, but, but again, I totally recommend to just do it all in one day. So ideally that you can just plan in during the week to write like three of these short texts and then you um, record them, for example, on a Saturday or Sunday, then you really do the setup. I have like a screen with the text as well, so I don't have to learn everything. 
but just a little bit mm-hmm. um, and and then it works quite well and it's really manageable if you record them in bulk. Yeah, great tips. Uh, I will link to your LinkedIn profile so people can see that in the show notes. Um, yeah, I, I think your videos are really cool and I, even myself, like, I've learned something. Um, I know you did one, I think you mentioned it earlier around how to prepare if you're a podcast guest and uh, one of your tips around, well, I, I can do breathing, but it was nice to, because I was going through the comments in your video and I, I saw a lot of people saying that was kind of one of their favorite tips as well. And there was one guy, I think he said he still gets nervous <laughs> before podcasting. He's been doing it for years or something like that. Yeah. And also personally, when I started with podcasting, I read that it takes 50 interviews in order to lose that nervousness. That was and it. Mm-hmm. When I, yeah. And when I did all of those interviews in person, like, I do have takes from that as well um, because I always had to have the setup ready when the guests came in of me freaking out, you know, and like my heart was like pounding and because I interviewed very, yeah, I'd say famous people, especially here in the scene in the Netherlands where I just slept for two hours because I was just so nervous um, the whole night before the interview. So I know what that's like, um, but just the longer that I'm, in it um i see that it's all experience that i think pretty much everyone in the world can do whatever they want to it just takes a certain amount of time to adjust to it yeah yeah couldn't agree more and i think the more reps you do the easier i don't think it'll ever get i mean for me personally like i still get nervous as well before podcasts like even today like we've chatted before i know we got on and like there shouldn't be any reason to feel nervous but i think naturally particularly doing podcasts it's just a bit weird like you know you are you're aware that you're just having a conversation but you are aware as well you're trying to direct the conversation so that gets as much value for listeners as possible so yeah is a fly on the wall i always find it like that as well agnes this has been so much fun i am super aware of the time how much time you have been you know generous with your time so far so i've just got a couple of final questions to wrap things up one of those being your future plans so Again, appreciate this is difficult in COVID, but I get the sense you are someone who maybe not plans super far ahead, but maybe you do have some plans for the future. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear maybe what those are for your business for one, but then also personally, not what you're hoping to do in this, the next year, next two years, etc. cetera. Yeah, so I'm very passionate about content creation as well. So I definitely want to create more courses around what I'm doing as well, um, like on Udemy, mm-hmm. like you have. Um, to dive into different sectors of the business as well. Um, I definitely like to get more people on my team in the future um, to just expand my business, obviously. Plus, I'm also diving into a SaaS solution uh, currently because I'm working on that with a friend. So that also results in a lot of learnings for me of how to run a SaaS business, cool. actually. Very cool. I won't delve into that in case it's under wraps, but um, I'm sure we'll see signs of that in the future. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. And then final question, which I know you are aware of. Um, so I'll set the scene for listeners. I mean, listeners have probably heard this a billion times as well, so they're probably aware. But for those who haven't, imagine we're driving down American Highway and we see a billboard to the side, which could be seen by potentially thousands of people every single year. What do you think you'd write? I'll give you a bit of time. doesn't have to be deep. could be a quip, piece of advice, a story, whatever you want it to be. But if you could write something on a billboard for thousands of people to see, what would it be and why? I'd write on it, done is better than perfect. Um, because myself, I'm a perfectionist. I procrastinate on a lot of tasks and I spend way too much task, uh, way too much time on certain tasks um, to make it better. Just also, for example a post that I want to bring out on LinkedIn and I still take probably half an hour to go (laughs) over the text and see how I can improve it. And I've just learned that it's way better to let it go and just do it and not to overthink it. Um, That it's just so much better for your personal growth. Great tip. Nice and short as well. So yeah, that's a, that's a great tip. So I've really enjoyed this Agnes. People can find you at agnes.billick on Instagram, which I'll link to in the show notes, along with Raw and Real Podcast, which I for one really enjoy and people can find that everywhere. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, but again, I'll link to those in the show notes. If they want to find out more about you and your business, rawandrealmedia.com, 
And of course, I've already mentioned, I'll link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. Yeah. Was there anywhere else you'd like to direct listeners towards before we jump off and any final thoughts for listeners to take away at all? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is the best way to connect with me as I share a lot of different tips and strategies on how you can leverage podcasting and actually get on podcasts. So if you're interested in that, just connect with me. I couldn't agree more. Your tips are fantastic. And I, for one, I've only been posting on LinkedIn consistently the last couple of weeks. And I know you mentioned the the kind of numbers, um, even just from text posts I've done with pictures, the numbers have been way higher than I could have anticipated. So if people aren't on LinkedIn, even in 2021, where we might perceive that the power is diminishing, doesn't seem to be the case. So Agnes, thank you so, so much. I've really, really enjoyed this. And so everyone listening, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. And we'll speak again very, very soon. Do take care. Hey, hey. So outsourcing to a virtual assistant for less than $5 an hour has been a game changer for me. My VA living in Vietnam is, for one, a lovely human being, and two, she saves me so much time every single week since we started working together in May 2020. She produces these episodes, she edits audio, she sends emails to guests, she creates social media posts, she writes show notes, completes ad hoc tasks, and we spend less than one hour a week communicating over Zoom and email. Pretty dreamy, am I right? Well, I now share all these systems, insights and mistakes I've made in my very first Udemy course so you too can outsource to a virtual assistant and save over 10 plus hours a week. Since launching in November 2020, over 80 students have enrolled and the course has received over 20 five-star ratings. To find out more, check out the link in my show notes where you can get an exclusive discount or visit udemy.com forward slash course forward slash outsource hyphen two hyphen a hyphen virtual hyphen assistant. That's not easy to say. Let me just repeat that. That's udemy.com forward slash course forward slash outsource hyphen two hyphen a hyphen virtual hyphen assistant for more details.